And our second reading is also a gospel text according to the witness of St. Matthew, chapter 26, beginning at verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel of our Lord. Amen. So today we are sharing the Lord's Supper and we're meditating on the same, Holy Communion. How many times do you think you've received communion so far in the span of your lifetime? A hundred times? Two hundred times? A thousand times? How often do you receive this meal that's made available here at Faith every weekend? Our members know that communion is provided every Saturday and Sunday on the first weekend of every month. It happens right here during worship in the sanctuary. But on those second, third, fourth, and occasional fifth weekends, uh, communion is also provided right after worship in that room in the back of the sanctuary that's marked with that beautiful communion banner that our own Ruth Ronan made for us. One of the people who joined our congregation last year wondered why we have communion so often. I mean, every week it's provided. In the new member class, he said, you know, I am coming from a tradition where communion's celebrated twice a year, once at Christmas and once at Easter. And he said, Pastor, do you really think your people are so sinful they need communion every week? <laughs> Another person who joined before that one had a different question altogether. The congregation she had belonged to most recently before joining ours celebrated communion during the worship service every Sunday, not after, but during, and every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m., and she went to communion twice a week. So she was communing about 100 times a year, if you do the math, and her question was, why do the people here commune so infrequently? And her question to me was, do the people think that they don't need God's grace and mercy that much? Two different questions based on two different people's experience, huh? And I would suggest to you that the frequency in which any congregation celebrates the Lord's Supper is not some accident. It has to do with that congregation's specific history, their specific theology, their understanding of this meal, and uh, the, the tradition in which every congregation stands, and even these uh, so-called non-denominational and Bible churches that have only been around a couple years, they have their own traditions too. And in their traditions, some of them choose not to have communion at all. And I find that at best intriguing, because so many of these younger, non-denom Bible church pastors boldly say that we preach and teach the pure word of God and we do the church and we do Christianity just like those first century Christians. Well, when you look at those first century Christians, you can read this for yourself. If you don't trust me, it's in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 20. Those first century Christians 
communed every week, sometimes every day. I can't imagine why anyone would claim to be following the Word of God and never share the Lord's Supper once in an entire year. But that's a topic for another day. We could spend hours discussing the frequency of how often communion is celebrated in our church and other churches. But this morning we're not going to focus so much on frequency, but on the meaning. And perhaps, this is my prayer, as we meditate more on the meaning of communion, it will cause you to reflect earnestly and prayerfully on the frequency with which you choose to receive this meal that Jesus sets before us. Holy Communion, do this. Do this. In those words, our Lord gives us a commandment. Do this. Eat this. Drink this. It's not a suggestion. (laughs) All the veterans and the active duty people that we recognized just minutes ago remember well how their life changed when they went from the status of civilian to inductee or draftee at boot camp, at basic training. Do you remember some of those commands that were barked at you at O Dark Hundred? I don't think those people training you were making suggestions that you get out of your bunk and go outside for formation. A commandment is a commandment is a commandment. And many of us remember commandments that were given with a loud voice in the middle of the night with consequences if those commandments weren't obeyed. But this commandment of Christ is not given with an intimidating voice or a clenched fist. Instead, this Commandment comes from the one who would open himself, open his arms, open his hands on the cross where they would be pierced with spikes. This commandment comes from your crucified Savior who lovingly wants you at his table. He commands you and he commands me to eat this bread and drink this cup because he loves us so much and because he knows, he knows how desperately we need it. And in obeying this commandment of love, there is a remembrance, a remembering to be sure. Jesus said, didn't he? Do this in remembrance of me. Do you remember Jesus when you come to his table? Do you think on his life, his death, his resurrection, his mercy? I know that when we gather here week after week, you bring with you, as I bring with me, uh, many memories, some fresh, some long-standing. I've been here nearly 20 years, and I cannot enter this sanctuary on a weekday when I'm by myself or on a morning like this when we're all together without a, a... a wave after wave of memories coming over me. Uh, I stand in this pulpit, your pulpit, this altar. Uh, I remember gathering with you for funerals of children who died young, of brothers and sisters, moms and dads, grandparents. I remember standing behind the altar with you, uh, celebrating the gift of life through the baptism of children and grandchildren. I remember standing in front of the altar and watching some of you come in and get married 
and walk out united in one flesh, as Jesus says. I got a flood of memories that come over me. And you've got your own precious, powerful memories that you bring with you. Some of you have told me, you know, I can't help it, Pastor. Every time I come to church, I think of my dad's funeral, my mom's funeral. These things are real. They're powerful. You have memories that bless you. You have memories that are heavy still. Some, some are painful and some are just the essence of pure joy. And in the midst of all that remembering that we do, Jesus says, remember me. Remember me. I was with you when your loved one died. I was certainly here when your child was baptized. I was here when you started your life as a married couple. And I'm with you now and I'm coming to you in this holy meal. And I want you to remember that I'm with you until you see me face to face through the dark valleys and on all those mountaintops. Remember me. For Jesus remembers us. And then this meal comes with um, a sacred promise, a mysterious promise of our Lord's presence, not just as we think him into our presence or remember what it was like in the upper room at his last supper and now somehow reenact that. No, Jesus says, I'm present. This is, this is my body. This is my blood. Now, to many, that just seems impossible. But I submit to you that Jesus is God. He's no creature. He took on flesh for a while, leaving heaven to die among us, but he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Jesus is one with God in the mystery of the Trinity, and God is not bound by time and space. Now, let's just do some truth-telling. Fearlessly. The bread we eat at this meal tastes like bread, doesn't it? It happens to come just around the corner from Great Harvest. Honey whole wheat. Uh, the wine we drink tastes like wine, doesn't it? A very fine wine. A 2017 Mogan David. <laughs> and without our Lord's promise, without our Lord's Lordship, without our Lord's word of life, this would be nothing more than a little snack. Hardly a supper by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, think about it. One of your best friends invites you over for supper on Saturday night. You come, you didn't eat too much because you know they always serve a great meal. I'm just going to eat a light lunch. And they sit you at table and they serve you a piece of bread and a thimble of wine. Eat up. Hope it's not too much. I mean, you'd wonder if they'd lost their mind. A meal like that wouldn't even qualify as a bona fide appetizer. But our God is not bound by such measurements of quantity. And he's not bound by time or space. He can do as he pleases with creation, with bread and wine. And he says to us, this is my body, this is my blood. And that is a great mystery. But our Lord's life and witness is full of mystery, is it not? It boggles my mind that Christians who say God's word is truth. Did Jesus walk on water? Yes. How? He's God. Did Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead after his body started stinking? Yes. How can he do that? He's God. Was Jesus born of a virgin? Yes. How can he do that? 
The power of the Holy Spirit, he's God. And then can Jesus give himself to us in the bread and the wine? Oh, no, we can't do that. That's impossible. Come on. God's word is truth. And there's a great mystery in this meal that we're about to share. And it's not just a memorial. It's not just a remembrance. And as long as we're speaking about mystery, this is what I find so much harder to comprehend than a God who is able to give himself to us in simple gifts of bread and wine. This is what blows my mind. That Jesus would leave the beauty, the wonder, the perfection of heaven. And take my place on the cross. And yours too. That he would leave everything that we can only imagine about the beauty of that realm. To be tortured, humiliated, spat upon, mocked, forsaken in our place. Yes, our God is a God of mysterious love because it's a love like none other. And it is gracious. It is grace-filled, grace-filled, this meal. It is a means of grace because Jesus said it's for the forgiveness of sins. Some of you are church history scholars Some of you are more faithful theologians than some of the professors that I had in seminary. And some of you know that Martin Luther said that every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, comes to us in an economy of two words and just two short words. Do you know what those two words are? This is my body given for you. This is my bloodshed for you. Luther said right there in those words, for you. The gospel is not only remembered, but it is delivered. Personally, Jesus died for you. Jesus went the way of the cross for you. Jesus took your sins unto his own flesh for you. And he did all this in love. So, back to the original question. How often should a follower of Jesus receive this supper? Perhaps we'll talk about this in the new year. Maybe I'll have a class on that so we can discuss it and see what the Word says and talk about it openly. You remind me of that, would you? Remind me of that after Christmas. But for now... For this moment, you're invited to the table where Jesus is Lord and host. With gifts of bread and wine, Jesus gives you his body and his blood. This is no snack. This is no reenactment. This bread is life. This is the cup of salvation not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of who Jesus is. He is Lord. He is God. He's the crucified King. And He died in your place that you might never die, that you might have life eternal. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit,